Hi and welcome to the Psyche Podcast where we discuss all things mindset, mental well-being and living your best life. I'm your host Hannah and I'm a mindset and mental well-being coach and founder of Psyche Coaching. Welcome and we hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone and welcome back for the second episode of the week and I am really happy to welcome Beryl to the podcast and I loved having this conversation with Beryl. I loved connecting with her and and hearing her story. We had such a lovely chat and definitely (laughs) you'll get there at the end where we kind of wind down into this reflection on on, um, yeah how nice it is to connect with people and to really feel comfortable talking and sharing her stories and um and all of that and uh, Beryl really shares honestly and openly about her experience growing up under apartheid in South Africa so it's a really I think it's a really important story to hear for a lot of us who only have a vague awareness of that whole situation and let alone what what it must have been like to experience and it's also um, I'm recording this on Sunday um, and I think there are lots of people who are very saddened and, and shocked as am I uh, with the news about Chadwick Boseman uh, who passed away today I believe uh, after uh, having faced or having been battling colon cancer for several years and as always when, when we lose someone who we care about even if they're uh, you know a public figure there's always that that shock and that sadness. And I think particularly because people didn't know about his ongoing battle with cancer, uh, because it's something that he hadn't, he had chosen not to uh, make public. And one of the things that I've seen kind of popping up on social media is this idea of you don't know what people are going through, which is absolutely true. And, and something that I guess I wanted to echo of, for me personally, I always try and treat people with kindness and understanding and try to appreciate that I don't know what they're experiencing whether that is something physical something such as cancer whether it's something with mental health you know we don't know what people are experiencing everyone has their own personal battles that uh, that they're going through Um, and so just yeah trying to lead with kindness or lead with love you know Black Panther I think was firstly an amazing film just generally um but I think culturally for the for the impact it had for for people seeing themselves represented on the big screen in a way that they hadn't been before and it is one of my hands down favorite Marvel films um I just think it's fab uh, the characters particularly the women the women are amazing I love Okoye I would you know <laughs> I'd love to be a Dora Milaje which basically the guards um <laughs> If you're not a massive Marvel geek like I am, uh, the Dramalaji of the Guards, who guarded T'Challa, which is the character that Chadwick Boseman played. Um, I could go off on Black Panther. I'm going to stop myself from hijacking Beryl's episode with me massively geeking out <laughs> about Marvel and Black Panther, but it's an amazing film if you haven't seen it. And uh, yeah, I just, I guess I just wanted to, to reflect on that um, and to, even though that they're, I doubt listen to the podcast but pass on my love and condolences and and all of those sentiments um but yeah also I guess just to reflect on that message there's something that we share quite often on here about not knowing what someone is experiencing and so just trying to 
to lead with kindness. So I'm going to hand over to the conversation with Beryl and I will be back super quickly at the end. Hi everyone and I'm really happy to welcome today's guest Beryl to the podcast. So Beryl if you could introduce yourself to us and tell us a little bit about you. Hi thanks so much for having me on. Um, It's really great. Um, My name is Beryl Crochet-Segers and I live in Sydney, Australia but I was born in Cape Town, South Africa and left um, with my husband and two young children in the 80s. I grew up in South Africa um, uh, under apartheid, uh, you know, the oppressive system. And so we, uh, I was, because of my mixed heritage, I was classified as as non-white, as colored, as whatever they called us. And so, you know, we wanted to escape that um, and didn't want our children to grow up there. So we, we moved to Australia in the 80s. And um, I have been living here ever since and um, have, you know, successfully established ourselves here, raised our children. And my dream, of course, was always to write. This started in high school. And those things, things like that were always denied. My parents even, you know, thought, what's a writer? You know, go and get a real job like a teacher or a nurse. But it was always my dream to write. And coming here to Australia, you know, leaving another country, coming here, starting all over again, two young children. I tried over the years to to try and fulfill my dream of writing, but um, stopped and started. And until eventually when Nelson Mandela died in 2013, I hauled out my manuscript and and I haven't stopped writing since. So I've since published two books. Awesome. Congratulations. Firstly, <laughs> on those. Thank you. <laughs> and maybe we can talk about writing a little bit because, as you were as you were talking about that, and there's I mean, there's so much of your story that I w- I'd love to dive into. But I think there's this idea that lots of us have of that wanting to write something, but we, because of life or because of fear of putting it out there, we we don't. And and I know just from the little bits of writing I do, which is not in any way a book. Who knows? One day, maybe I don't know. But I find it very therapeutic to get my thoughts out there and get them down on the piece of paper. And I wonder if you found that process to be therapeutic at all. I did. Uh, Growing up, that was my escape. I mean, I grew up in a time where we had no television. I grew up in a, in a township that we were, um, that was allocated to us. And we had very um, limited facilities and, and, you know, opportunities to do anything. And, uh, I come from a, a big family and, you know, we just about survived. There was no money for piano lessons or sports. or So I, I immersed myself in writing and that was my life. I, I, you know, escaped and would just always note down something. I still do that. And my love for writing grew. So I had lots to draw from when I started writing. I have lots of unfinished things, lots of attempts at writing. And um, while, you know, it was, I guess, an escape for me um, as a child growing up in a, a small house, five children, and that was my entertainment. And so I guess for, it, was, it just became part of me to write, to write every day. And um, 
while it was, I guess, a way of an escape. It was, you know, like I was living in my own world when I wrote these things down. I grew up very much in a time when children were seen and not heard. And so, you know, I'd sit there in, in adult conversation and, and note things down. I was one of those, one of those cookie ones, those <laughs> that um, dear diary girls. But when I started, when I wrote my book, it was actually not as therapeutic as I thought it would be. Writing the book, I, I actually relived my life. Um, my first book, A Darker Shade of Pale, was a, a memoir of, about, you know, growing up in South Africa under that oppressive regime. And um, it really impacted, it actually traumatized me having to relive and, and write about all those everyday humiliations we experienced. Um, a lots, of, uh, lots of trauma, as uh, uh, traumatic events as a child that I experienced that at the time I used to, I think looking back at it now, it was, my, it was a coping mechanism for me to write. My mom worked six days a week. She was away from six till six in the evening. And, um, and often, the, you know, there was no one to talk to. We never had therapy. We never had anyone. Some of my childhood friends died right in front of my eyes. A child was crushed under a tractor and there was no, no way from, you know, no healing. It's just, you just got on with life and you just, this boy played with us the day before and right in front of our eyes, he was crushed under a tractor and there was no therapy. There was no one to guide you through that. And so when I, I wrote this book, I actually relived all those things and I, I relived all um, the racism, all the discrimination. And it was not, not as therapeutic as people would think it is to write a book because there were so many bad and traumatic memories. And had you, uh, as an adult, revisited those memories to kind of work through the trauma? Or was writing the book kind of the first time to go back to them um, and rethink about them? Yes, it was. Yeah, some of the, I mean, a lot of things we, are, we of course, talk about. We talk about my siblings or friends. Um, we talk about some of those experiences. Um, but writing about it there was something about actually that the physical part of writing that book that's it's it's like that unnerved me it it actually traumatized me to such an extent that I suffered severe um, anxiety and panic um, disorder that I had to get help for I mean there were there were other you know fact contributing factors as well um, like online trolling, I had, you know, um, that um, also affected me because I then, I was in such an irrational state. I'd actually lost my ability to be rational. I, I wanted to lash out at these people who, um, these privileged people who disadvantaged us and who um, it became, you know, uh, it became so important for me to, to have to do that to have to seek justice, to have to seek, you know, retribution or something. I, I, and that's what writing about it did for me. Um, yeah, I suppose maybe if you're bringing up the emotions of it, then when you're encountering the online trolling, rather than that kind of rational part of your brain being able to respond, you're in that emotionally yes. charged kind of 
feeling all those feelings again and responding in that way, which, yep. yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I, I found also that having to do media and, and, you know, I had a lot of media with my first book, both here in Australia and in South Africa and, and talk, you know, going on book talks and having to constantly tell the story. Um, I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't ready. I, I wanted to write this book. I wanted to tell everybody about, you know, my life and, and what things, you know, how, what things were really like. Because lots of people who have read the book, non-South Africans, say that they, while they knew about apartheid, they knew, you know, there was that thing that happened in South Africa. They didn't know the extent of it and they didn't know the everyday humiliations we suffered. Um, so it was like an, an eye opener and for a lot of people. Um, but I, yeah, I think that whole experience of, of actually sitting in my office in this very chair that I am now and, and writing that book, it was written in what was the privacy of my study. Um, these words came out and it was just me and my computer. And then suddenly everyone was, you know, reading about this. And uh, the more that thought came into my mind, the angrier I got because I wanted to lash out at those people that, that disadvantaged us. And I, I must admit that, mm. I guess, my knowledge of apartheid and, and what it must have been like to say is, is like you said, like one of these people who kind of know that it happened but don't know the realities. And I suppose that that also, yeah. it's something that racism in general, like lucky uh, is not the word, but I, I recognize my own privilege, I guess, in that way that I, it's not something I experience day to day. Um, although I did have a moment in um, Australia where I had some the other way but, which was interesting actually um and it made me really angry yes. um yes. but i wonder when you went to australia what that was like going to a different culture whether you experienced racism there or whether it was more accepting yeah i've, I've been asked that question a lot um when i um i mean that's this is a subject of another book um when i came to australia <laughs> actually before we came to australia we knew um, you know, and we only got television in, in South Africa in 1976. And so we knew very little. Our media, you know, there were media bands. We knew very little about what, what happened, you know, what's happening in, the, in other parts of the world. They kept us very much in the dark. And unless you moved in those circles that, uh, you know, where you were if your parents were political or you would have been exposed to a lot of things, but we also didn't know, or I mean, I'm talking for myself, didn't know too much about Australia's history. And, but of course got to know, you know, got to know that. And so when I came, when we came to Australia, we just blended in. We felt like one of the millions. We didn't stand out as, uh, I mean, we, of course we stood out as, as being immigrants but uh, because we spoke English uh, English was our is our first language we didn't have a problem with language we you know were able we were had the qualifications we could get jobs we we didn't struggle in that way but the of course the the other 
thing that got me was the isolation. I had left a place, especially my small community where I came from, where um, everyone knew me. I was very active in the arts. I, I came to a place where I didn't know. You know, I had my, my sister, one sister here, but other than that, we didn't know anyone. And I came from segregation. I came from you know, where we lived in our own areas, where we sat in our own carriages, where that was the norm for me. So I do, this is the subject of, of a book that I'm writing now, is, um, is actually going to, being on the train station, going to work every day, and adjusting to that in the beginning that there are no signs on benches, that I don't have to look for a sign on a train carriage to say, non-whites or you know you have to wait on your carriage to 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 roll past like to, to be able to get in and and of course people on the station were oblivious to this but a, a lot of those things um i carried with me and i noticed and i um it's because it was still part of me it was still um what what, what i'd been conditioned to and suddenly I'm in this place where everything's free and everything's open and, um, you know, you can make your life, you can live your life, you can buy a house in any area that you can afford to. You can send your children to the schools that you, that of your choice. There's no uh, specific color, which was very different to someone like me who had been conditioned to a certain life, almost brainwashed into that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I imagine that transition must have been quite difficult to, because if you had those patterns of, of the ways that you had to behave, and I suppose people listening might think, oh, you know, you went to Australia and suddenly it's, there's not segregation and it's amazing. But actually, that adjustment is still difficult, even if you're moving to something that is more positive, because like you said, you yeah. still have those those anxieties and that those habits. Yeah, yeah. You still, I mean, I, I you know, when I, I, I'm speaking for myself and, um, I still looked around to see if there were other people like me. Going to a, a, a restaurant, a cafe, you'd still look around because you, that's, uh, you know, as I say, I've been conditioned to that. We in South Africa couldn't go to restaurants. We couldn't go to cafes, in, you know, so we, we had our own. Um, and now here I was, I could go anywhere. And even though you've, it'll be difficult for younger people to understand that, but that's the way life was for us. And even my children who have, you know, practically grown up here, if we, when we talk about this and tell them, it's like they, they can't understand. They, can, they, they listen and they sort of listen to the stories we tell, but they cannot understand that experience and what that life was. And I'm, I'm glad they do. They don't. Mm. Um, but, you know, what that life was like for us. It was, you were just conditioned to that way of living. That, you know, you just don't, you cannot live here. You cannot live there. You cannot do this. You, and it's, it just becomes part of your life. And suddenly, yeah, I was in a place where I could work in the public service. I could get a job where in South Africa I couldn't. Public service jobs, the type that I, I ended up working for a state minister and, and, you know, those jobs would never have been open to me in South Africa. So that to me was, I, sometimes I, I was amazed at where I found myself. 
and there was no one to tell and there was no one to share it with and to 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 see that and people would think oh she's crazy like you know she mm. um yeah i'm walking in parliament house in place that i was banned from in south africa i would never have been able to put my foot in and yeah i'm walking and i'm in awe and yeah so have you found uh, since writing the books that other people who have lived through apartheid kind of contact you and and kind of tell you their experience have you found that sort of um, response to it yep i've had lots of that i've had lots very you know lots of encouraging messages from people and people sharing their stories and and i'm always encouraging everyone that we need to tell our stories we don't have there's so little of our story stories out there i don't know maybe i can uh, maybe one or two other people but um we need to tell our stories we need to document these things because it'll just be forgotten it's, and we went through a horrific period in our history um while we lived through it and accepted that life because we had no choice you'd land up in jail if you if you did something or if you questioned anything so it's it's really important for us to record that history and not what people want now especially the our previous oppressors would like us to forget about that and and just move on with our life and and you know you you now have the freedom so live it but I didn't for most for the first half of my life I didn't have that and so I think it's really important for us to record that and I'm glad I did I'm even if it's just for my future generations and also so that it particularly our generations in Australia that they will know where they come where we come from and where their heritage come from and why we are here and uh, who their ancestors were we have that uh, you know have that document yeah i think it, uh, i i definitely yeah. agree it's so important to share stories and um and and cuz i think it also there are possibly other people who have been been through the the similar experience to you who um it it i don't know i think it can make us feel less alone when we can kind of see like someone someone else has kind of been through this and 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 understands and that can be really comforting but i think also what you said there about um, previous oppressors saying, yeah. "Oh, now you've got your freedom," but I suppose that's maybe practically and physically you have, but those emotional, the emotional impact of it still lives with you. So, yeah, it's it's not just, yeah. "Oh, look, you're free now. Let's forget about it," because you're still carrying that that impact with you. Through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I guess you know, for my generation, um, we of course had it better than my parents. Uh, you know things were were more my parents of course saw to it that we had a little bit more in our life than they had so i guess i my parents missed out on on so much more than we did um and they saw to it that we had a level of education even though our education at the time was considered second grade compared to to white south africans but they most of the most parents who could encourage they knew that education would be our our ticket out of there and that when the if the change came we'd be prepared we'd have an education so that was what something that my parents really uh focused on and struggled for for us to be educated but if i look at my mother and my mum is still my dad died years ago but my mum is 89 and she lives here in in australia 
And I, when I listened to her and, and her stories about, you know, when, uh, because for, she was 18 when apartheid was legislated. And I was born into it, but she, for her, changed from one day to the other. And she was telling, only, only a few months ago, um, she told me the story about her going to work after apartheid was legislated. They, there was one bridge um, at our railway station where you cross to go to the other side. And they had then declared that bridge as for white South Africans only. So, so on the Thursday, she could go over the bridge. And by the Friday, it had been legislated. When they arrived, when she arrived to go to work, there were police at the bridge. And, and she said, we were herded like cattle down the, down the road to a railway crossing to cross, they could no longer use that bridge. And, um, and that's, how, that's how things changed for them. And so by the time I um, had you know, started working or went to college, they'd built another bridge. So there, were, there was a colored bridge. So we had to, so you can imagine the cost as well to the government at the time to maintain this, to have double, two entrances at buildings, two bridges at stations, but that's what I was born into. Whereas for my mom and my parents, a change from one day to the next, um, which I think is, is even harder because uh, for me, I didn't know any other life. That was my life. Whereas for them, things change from one day to the other. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this is in, in no way the same level as, as that experience. But I think for a lot of people with the, the quarantine with COVID, it's for a lot of people, it was like one day it was just like normal, normal life. And then suddenly we have all these restrictions, which so many of us have been struggling with. And I know it's like completely different to experience, but I guess for a lot of us, that's maybe the closest we've got to being able to appreciate what that might have been like, because suddenly, yeah. yeah you know you can't just pop to a cafe for lunch you can't just see your friend yeah. and and those restrictions yeah. we're not a fan of <laughs> at all and we're yeah you know you have yeah. lots of people breaking them because we yeah it's um yeah I'd love to uh talk briefly about uh your uh I don't know if it was your second book behind yeah. my smile yeah. um and yes yeah and your your mental breakdown can we talk about yeah 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 so as I mentioned earlier, you know, writing that book after it was published, after, and also while writing it, I had to have several uh, breaks, you know, in writing that book um, where I just had to walk away and just, I couldn't um, handle some of the, the, the trauma. And then after publication and after doing, you know, talking about it, having to answer questions, there were also, I... I had online trolls who, um, these were mainly people, you know, our previous oppressors who, uh, without reading the book, felt that I was opening, reopening old wounds. And I mean, there were all sorts of uh, accusations, all sorts of emails and comments and really horrible things were being said. They uh, saying to me, why are you still in Australia? You wanted freedom. Why aren't you back there? We can send you back. We can arrange for you to get raped by all the, the you know, the black people uh, wishing me dead, wishing my family ill, wishing, 
telling me that my that books like mine is causing the white genocide uh, farmers being killed in south africa uh, they were just and you know it just i think because i was in uh, already um uh, traumatized by by writing and and reliving my life um when that happened i think you know getting those emails i sunk into a really bad state where I could not even leave home because they were, you know, they were people that wanted to know where I live. They sort of made these, you know, frivolous comments. They want to find out where I live. They need to come and protest. And these were the types of emails I'd get. I'd get images of dead people. I'd get, this is what will happen to you. And um, it was really, really horrible. And and as time progressed, I then also went to South Africa to launch my book. And while I'd been there several times, you know, on holidays, um, this time though, I think my my the my mind frame or I was in already in such a traumatized state that I saw things differently. I went to the area where I grew up, and it's like I, I, saw, I really saw the legacy of apartheid. It was still there and it was even worse than the, when I grew up. And uh, I was so disturbed by seeing the level of poverty and the, the way people lived. And the, especially where I grew up in the, the area, that it was a very poor area and, and how, you know, people were living in, in terrible conditions. And all those things impacted me. I, you know, impacted my emotions. My, I, I needed to get away from there and come home. I could not wait to get to my home. And I, I was stuck inside for months. Um, I suffered terrible anxiety and panic um, attacks. And I, I realized that I needed help. I needed to get help. But I didn't want to take medication. I was very fearful of, of um, medicating and I eventually found a, uh, you know, I saw my doctor who immediately wanted to prescribe. He already had the pad out to prescribe medication for me. The only places I could go was to the doctor. I could leave home. My husband could, I couldn't drive my car. I couldn't do any of those things. And I had to stop all my activities. I was, you know, very active in the community. I did, you know, lots of, work in the arts and all those things had to stop because I, I could no longer cope. And I then found this clinical psychologist who also um, uh, used the integrative um, healing modalities. And, and those were the things I wanted. I knew that I, you know, I was in such a state that I, I wanted to, I wanted to connect with my ancestors. And I felt that was driving me that I, um, I felt so strongly about that. And when I discovered him and um, actually the very first time I saw him, my mental state was, I was in such a, a bad mental state that he's an Australian. And when he walked, when I walked into his practice and I saw him, I, I couldn't speak to him because he reminded me of my oppressors. And um, I'm very open in my book. I'm very honest and, you know, about my thoughts. I write it very clearly in there that 
I struggled um, because suddenly I was faced with, I'd come, I thought he wouldn't understand. I thought, how can I speak to, you know, to, to you, you're white, you're blue-eyed and blonde. You, you're just the kind of person that I was writing about. And, and now I have to tell you these things. And um, I struggled with that, but um, he's the most, ended up the kindest person and was the right person for me to work with the most unlikely unlikeliest match but it's it's also what he um what he practices and what it's it's what i was looking for i wanted the clinical help but i also wanted the other modalities and he offered that as well so the my therapy included energy healing it included um shamanic healing, uh, sound therapy, all the things that I was looking for. Um, so merging the, the clinical, the scientific based with the other traditional healing. And that's what helped me a lot. Yeah. Cause I, I basically needed to calm down. My nervous system was so out of whack that talking to him would not talk mm. therapy alone would not have helped me. And so having these other healing you know, modalities helped me to calm down so that I could talk um, about these things. And that's what led to writing this book about that journey. Mm. Yeah. yeah, because you take people kind of into the therapy room with you and kind of through that journey. And I think that must be a really powerful thing for people to read to kind of understand the process and particularly if they've not been through a kind of therapy process themselves to kind of really see what it's like yeah um, yeah I'm very very open and honest here and it's really interesting um to me that you said about your initial reaction to the clinical psychologist because I'm doing a counseling training course at the moment and we did um we do like a role play to develop skills before we're allowed to actually work with people um and but we did one focus yeah. around yeah. this idea of race and how someone might kind of feel like you you're they, they kind of see the clear difference between you and think that you won't understand me like like you just expressed and it's something that we yeah. have been thinking about that as a as a therapist if someone voices that to you how do you respond to it and and so that was only I think last week that we did it <laughs> so it's quite interesting to me that, that you that you mentioned that um yeah because I think that can be a, a really real thing if you go into therapy and um on my course yesterday we were talking about gender because again that might be a real sense of that difference um when you're choosing a therapist and feeling whether someone can support you so I think it's yeah. it's great that you found that even though you had that initial thought that you found working with him yeah. to be a healing and supportive process yeah it was yeah I think it's you know for a therapist also it's it's very important to be uh, uh, aware um, of the you know the client's culture as well um, you know their their spiritual level their religion their beliefs it's you know a lot of those things are, are, are very important in that relationship and I, I think it will be valuable for therapists for, for to read my book because it's so detailed about what goes on in the therapy room and and the client's thoughts mm. because I'm I'm very open about that so um, you know, I think I think for any therapist to read that, it's uh, you know to read through that. People are, you know who are doing courses who are, may find that valuable to 
to understand that process. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to recommend it to the people on my course. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, absolutely. Uh, so I have yeah. some set questions that I ask everyone, okay. and I'd love to hear your thoughts on these. So uh, my first one is, what brings you joy in your life? What always boosts your mood? Um, I'm very, very much into the arts. So I love doing a community projects. And so for me, um, what, that's what always brought me um, joy because it, it also reminds me about where I grew up. And as I grew older, I got involved in the arts and, and my contribution to helping the community was to put on these little productions to help so that children could, who would never have these opportunities um, would be able to sing and perform and do, you know, things. It was done on a very small scale in our community and I'd, I'd run these little, have arranged concerts and draw people, other professionals in to come and help. And I continued that year when I came to, as soon as I could in Australia, I started a choir, a community choir, and um, sadly I had to give it up because I just couldn't cope towards, um, I mean, last year, or I couldn't cope with it, and I had to stop after 10 years. But it was also giving people in the community um, who would not get into um, choirs where they had to audition, they could come here if they loved singing and just be part of it. and. Mm. So though that's that gives me real joy is um, is doing things in the arts and and helping other people, giving them opportunities. And one of the big things I did was uh, when I came here is to bring entertainers from Cape Town, from where from the Cape Flats where I'm from, previously disadvantaged entertainers. I brought them to Australia and did collaborations with, you know, local um, uh, artists here. And, and I, I did that for 18 years. Um, it was done on a whim, like just got up one day and thought, I'm going to do this. No, no budget, no money, no, <laughs> I don't even know how I got started. But I did that, you know, one or two a year. And that was, those were the things that, that brought me so much joy is to the moment they they stepped on stage and I'd see the you know audience loving it and the artists got an opportunity to come to Australia which they never would have no one would bring them uh, or anywhere abroad not so yeah that's that's what I really that's um gives me great joy to um to be able to do these things and now when I went into through this period, I couldn't do any of those. I had to give up so many things. I had to stop doing the things that I could. And that's why I had to get help because I, I couldn't cope with that, that I couldn't, could no longer do that. So, you know, I had to get professional help. I think some of the best ideas that we have are like a whim, aren't they? And we just go with it and they can bring us so much. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't think it would last for so many years. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Um, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my next question is what makes life meaningful for you? Yeah, very much as I, I said, you know, before that, that gave me, I think having left my home country, I still wanted that connection, even though it's, it's 32 years that I'm in Australia. 
I, I still wanted that connection with my, my heritage. I didn't want to lose that. And, and that was my way of, of connecting and, and maintaining that and making me feel as if I'm doing something meaningful. I'm giving these people, you know, that opportunity to come. And, um, and then again, on, on this side, the community here um, loved it. They loved having, you know, that connection as well. So I was the, the one in between that made it possible. And so, yeah, that's, uh, again, I mean, that's, I'd have to say that's what really makes my life meaningful. I felt like I contributed to um, people's lives and contributed to them achieving um, because we were deprived of so much growing up and now I'm able to help other people to live their dream um, for some, it would be the only opportunity mm. to get on a plane to come overseas. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So on the, the podcast, it's all kind of generally, we talk about mental wellness a lot. And actually, it's Mental Health Awareness yeah. Week in the UK at the moment. So <laughs> quite fitting. Uh, so I always, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I always ask guests that come on uh, two questions around this. So the first is, what does mental wellness mean to you? And then the second is how you look after your own mental well-being. Well, since, you know, since my experience now, I didn't think about my mental health. I've always had anxiety, always suffered with anxiety and panic since, since childhood. But I've always been able to, to control it. To, I controlled it by having a busyness addiction. So... I always had to achieve. I always had to do, I had to be busy and do things and that helped my anxiety. So it was only until I had this breakdown that I realized I wasn't well and that I needed to look after my, my mental health. And going through this therapy taught me so many things, so many tools that I now have that I use to look after my own mental health. I meditated before, but now I meditate with a purpose. I meditate now. I find that my spiritual awakening has really led me to a new level of wellness that I didn't know before. Um, I was too busy before. And as people said, you, uh, people often reminded me, you never had time to smell the roses, to start, stop and smell the roses. Mm-hmm. Lots of people used to say to me, when do you stop? When do you, you know, you, you jump from one project to another? But that was part of my coping. And now I, I make time for the things that help me to feel well. And I've stopped, although I'm still very busy, it's... Um, I have a better understanding now of how to look after my mental health and how to take those breaks and how to enjoy life, which I didn't be, I, I had a great life, but I never experienced the enjoyment of it. I was, you know, everything just rushed past me. We traveled, we did lots of things, but I never really fully appreciated that. Yeah. But this new level that I'm at now is so much better. I just, I'm enjoying my life really for the first time. 
I think that's a really important reminder, isn't it? That even you can be doing all these amazing things, but if you are not yeah. really feeling them and experiencing them, then you're, yeah, you're not really enjoying, you're not really enjoying them. No. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Good. Yeah. So my, my next question uh, is around mindset and I talk around mindset quite a bit on here. Um, and I uh, challenge guests yeah. to try and describe their own mindset. Yeah, yeah, my mind, I mean, the way, the way I approach things now, as you know, since having, as I said, since going through that, is um, that I find I'm more um, focused when I do things. I'm not just jumping from one thing to another. I juggled so many projects before. My mind set now is that I have to look after myself. I have to, um, you know, for me, it was always putting other people, making other people happy. Um, I grew up with that, you know, parents pushing you to achieve, to do, you know, you've got to do these things to be successful in life. And of course, I grew up in that mindset that to be successful, you had to be like the white people. You had to forget about yourself. You have to be like them. So, and, and of course, in that process, you lose who you are. So I think now for me, I've, I've recon, I feel as if I've reconciled with my past. I, I can't say that I'm healed. It's a process. But I feel like I've reconciled with um, those things that I carried around with me that, that was always there for me. And um, that, yeah, the, the way I feel now, that, you know, a lot of those things are not controlling me anymore. They, they don't control my thoughts as much as, um, as they did. Uh, I can feel that has lessened, um, that my focus is not as much on it. Because, uh, you know, you can get into that heat of discussions about these things. And especially when we get together as friends from the same area or from the same generation, those things can dominate our conversation. I find now that I, I don't feel, I don't participate as strongly in those discussions. I feel more at peace with my life. Um, and and the therapy has of course helped me with that. So my uh, my penultimate question. So I ask guests to leave the listeners with between one and three tips of practical things that they can try out in their life that are going to have um, a massive impact. So do you have one to three tips that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I mean for me, you know, the for me that that um, the main thing that I had to or that I um, had to apply to my life was to focus on myself and and not be consumed with what's happening out there and um, I work very much in a political environment as well and I grew up we, we were we were raised on a diet of politics and I find now that you know for me um, releasing those things and focus, just focusing on my everyday life and not jumping ahead into the future and just focusing. It was very hard for me just to focus on my day-to-day -day life because I'd always jump ahead and always look at other opportunities and other things. And so for me, that um, I, I think that top tip 
would be to focus on your your everyday life your you know and not to jump too far ahead um into the future it can it as my mother my mother always tells me um don't worry about retirement don't worry about how much money you must have for retirement because you can the older you get you you can only use a certain amount of money don't think you eat less you buy less clothes you don't, your your expenses are less don't be fooled by that that you must have a lot of money for retirement because your life is so much smaller um and so we you know i think those things i've relaxed about i don't let that control me and my thoughts and my uh, i think that's that's that focusing just on day by day is really what uh, what i'd say to people don't um run away with life yeah i think that's great advice mm. so thank you for for sharing that i hope so yeah yeah because you can get so fixated and yeah i think we can you know we can get really caught up in in and i think that's where a lot of people's anxiety comes from is what's going what's what about my future what's going to happen um and and as with covid now mm. we've had to make do we've had to uh, and we do i mean i know that it's it's really tough for some people there are people doing it really tough um you know who have lost their jobs and and um but if i look at you know how you can make it work and this is what what my mother tells me don't think about you must have hundreds of thousands of dollars to retire um when you're only going to spend 20 dollars on food it's yeah so i've relaxed a lot about that and i mm. uh i don't let that yeah. um you know sort of play on my mind too much yeah so uh, my yeah, so my last question is just if people want to connect with you, if they want to find out more about you, uh, if they want to find your books, where can they go for that? So I've got, I've got a website. It's, um, it's quite a mouthful, BerylCrocheSiegers.com. And mm -hmm. my books are, are all online. If people just Google my name, there's lots of things on, on the internet. My website is is a sort of a starting point where people. I try and keep it updated. I try and blog whenever you know I, I love writing, um, so I try and and write um, a blog every now and then. Um, mm. My topics tend to be about um, racism, about you know discrimination, healing, spirituality. I love I love those topics, and. Um, we're also making a a documentary which will um start sometime later this year um so the documentary will be about both books but it will um focus a lot on healing and and um um and you know these different modalities that we use so i'm very excited about that um the documentary being made yeah yeah sounds very mm. exciting yeah we can absolutely put a link in the show notes to your website so people can find it easily from there oh great i'll, I'll put I'm, I'm putting up a page on there about the documentary because um yeah i um and you know people can always check on that as well um hopefully it will be sold to a network in in the uk where people will be able to see oh. it <laughs> yeah that'd be exciting yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
so th thank you so much, Beryl. I really have enjoyed talking to you. And I know I'd originally said we'd be about half hour and we've talked way longer, but it's been amazing. Uh, so I really, um, yeah, really enjoyed, even though your story is quite a challenging story for you, I've enjoyed hearing it because I feel it's something that, that for me, it it's beyond my like everyday experience. I think it's really important to hear other people's stories and kind of try and reach a point of understanding as much as possible yeah. of what other people have been through so I found it really interesting in that way and and I think um that I'm definitely going to be recommending your books to understand more about um the experience under apartheid but definitely your um behind my smile to people that are training on my course because yeah. I think that That's, yeah. yeah yeah and I'm really I'm happy to hear that you're doing this course um you know we should win how long have you got to go Oh, quite a while. <laughs> okay, quite okay. quite a while. Um, it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time, but I held myself back from doing, and now I'm finally just living my life and uh, going for it, and very much enjoying it. That's so. that's so great. Are you looking at any particular area of of psycho um, of um, counselling or? Uh, it's um, the modality I'm doing is psychodynamic counselling, but I would like to eventually be an integrative. Um, person because I think for me that kind of feels like that makes the most sense because I think that yeah we're all unique individuals I don't think a one-size-fits-all approach is the way to go and I think being able to yeah. bring in other things like you said the energy work and stuff is really helpful for you I I, yeah. I would like to have that ability to just kind of sit with a person in, in front of me and be able to just respond using all these other tools to help them as they go through their own healing journey so um that's my aim. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I would yeah. definitely be. Oh, that's yeah. great. That, and, and the thing is, you know, every person, like each person's journey is, is so personal and individualized. And, and so, you know, as a therapist, for you mm. to be able to do that and to, you know, um, um, to work with one person and know that that's their journey, um, you know, it's, yeah and and it's 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 so valuable to have therapists and have people that that do this work um while i know i always say we are all healers but not everybody uses that you know um you obviously felt that that calling to to use it um often they say people who have who are wounded are the ones that come out and heal other people you know so yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, the wounded healer, and I can definitely uh, relate yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think there's there is something I think when you've been through your own healing journey, I think you want yeah. to share that experience with other people to help them as well. And I think that's probably where where it comes from that yeah. motivation of for me the podcast and and the coaching and stuff I do. I can look at where I was a couple of years ago and where I am now. Yeah and that transformation and just think like I want to help other people through that because yeah. it's and it's really funny because I say that I feel like a completely different person but I also feel more myself okay so yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's I mean for me yeah for me it, it's writing I write about it I wrote this book and that's part of my sharing of my healing you know I was wounded I mean not I'm still wounded I don't think you ever get through everything but um, and and for me, a way to yeah. want to heal others or help others heal is to tell them my story, and so that they don't wait as long as I did to, to get help, and that there is help. 
And um, I think, you know, what yeah. a lot of people also don't understand is that that mm -hmm. hour you spend with your therapist is only the beginning. It's the work starts when you leave there. Then, you know, you get the tools there, but it really depends on you what you do for the other hours that you are um, out of there. Yeah, that, that hour goes so quickly. And, you know, you mm -hmm. learn these strategies and and then have to go and apply mm. it so that's why for me the energy and spiritual healing was something that I could take with me and work with you know uh, use to work with of course I listened to the other you know took on board the other talk therapy uh, help but it was mainly for me the other healing that helped that really calmed me down and that I could draw on. I could feel it for days after my therapy um, that I was so open and I, I, I wanted the help and I, I was open and receptive to it. And I think that's what people need to do. You, you can't go in there and just leave it to the therapist. So that's what I write about um, in my book. Yeah, yeah amazing. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be recommending it. I can sit here all day and talk to you. <laughs> I can just <laughs> yeah, so, so could I, so could I. Yeah, it's been it's been lovely uh, connecting and chatting to you. Um, so yeah, thank yeah. you for joining us. Yeah, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, and thanks for having me on. It's been it's been wonderful. Yeah, to to chat to you, yeah. a complete stranger, and then just feel like you know you know this person and you feel comfortable. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. I found that with podcasting, that kind of power of. I have a lot of international guests, and I love that. You know, we've never spoken before, yeah. and then we've had this really nice conversation. Yeah. And yeah, and, and but you know, it's one, and it's that power of connection, and I guess the positive side of technology. And I know you've, you've experienced, as you said, the negative side, but I think yeah. there is this real positive yeah. side as well, where you can connect like this. So good. No, thank you. And So thank you so much to Beryl for joining us. And there's something that I just want to comment on briefly with regards to when I mentioned about experiencing a racist incident. We recorded this um, a couple of months ago now. So whenever World Mental Health Awareness Day was, maybe the beginning of May, I'm not sure. Um, and so one of the topics that Beryl writes about a lot and talks about a lot is racism. And, and obviously from her experience growing up, uh, under that system of oppression and, and segregation. And we recorded this um, before the increased awareness of around Black Lives Matter and, and all of that. And so uh, there's, there's something that uh, I refer to in this, that having now done my own kind of anti-racism education, that I think maybe is, well, not maybe, that I think is, problematic in that I sort of refer to a racist incident towards myself but what I actually mean on reflection is you know receiving prejudice for the color of my skin and so I called it racism but actually with racism there is that kind of power dynamic associated so I know that this idea of reverse racism is something there is I think a lot of debate around about whether it is possible for someone who is white to experience racism because of the the nature of um, the kind of power within it and, and the sort of structures. But yeah, I guess this is me kind of reflecting on my own learning as 
as I have, uh, yeah, undertaken that kind of um, anti-racist education, that actually the situation I referred to was experiencing prejudice about the colour of my skin rather than racism. And actually, you know, it's a massive privilege to just have one such uh, event that I can think of, whereas there are so many people who unfortunately, you know, day day after day are experiencing um, prejudice and racism and discrimination because of the colour of their skin. And and Beryl shares her experience uh, of those everyday those everyday experiences those everyday aggressions I think it's part of this ongoing conversation particularly for someone who is white and recognizes my white privilege to reflect on my language and my understanding and to continue to learn and try and do better and to you know challenge discrimination etc and that's what we try and do on, on the podcast specifically around mental health but also uh, in other context uh, so I'm I'm yeah I'm pleased that we've had a few conversations that actually tackle not tackle that's not the right word but actually sort of bring awareness and have a conversation about racism and the impact on mental health we had our panel discussion uh, where we were joined by Sheila and Timuri to talk about racism and mental health which was actually recorded after this interview but actually I think it's one of these conversations around racism that people can avoid. In particular, when I say people, I think I'm talking particularly of white people that we can avoid that conversation. But in order for there to be real change, and not just the "Hey, I'm on the bandwagon" because it's the the cool thing to do, or you know what's expected, it is about challenging our language. It's reflecting on our privilege. Uh, it's about having these conversations and not shying away from them just because they make us uncomfortable. Uh, and I wasn't uncomfortable in this conversation with Beryl. But yeah, I just basically <laughs> wanted to say that actually, when I said about uh, experiencing that situation, actually, probably prejudice was a more appropriate term to use than racism. Yeah. And a final reminder, just that Next week on Thursday, the 10th of September, 8pm, we have our live panel where we're going to be talking about suicide. So please do send us your questions, your comments, your thoughts. And if you're able to tune in live on Facebook for that. But next Monday, not next Monday, the Monday, not a Monday, Monday the 14th, uh, it will be out as a podcast episode. So not next Monday, but uh so I feel like I am completely losing the power of articulate speech now, which to me means that it's time to round this whole thing up. Uh, so as I said at the beginning, please, uh, yeah, lead with kindness. I guess that's kind of always my final message, isn't it? Quite often about turning that kindness on ourselves and being kind to ourselves. But also today I'm going to offer that reminder of of leading with kindness, of, of turning that kindness outwards as well, because we don't know what people are going through ever <laughs> we don't and and I think sometimes if we just started from that place of kindness the world would be a better place um but <laughs> but yeah I just I think it's like it's just being kind I think it's underrated it's just something I always try and be and I'm doing it again I'm sort of waffling <laughs> rambling so I'm totally rounding up now with just be kind leave with kindness have a great week and I will be back on Monday 
when we're going to be joined by Lee Chambers. So join us for that. Have a good rest of your week and I'll speak to you next week. Bye.